you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. It's time for another Benny J bonus interview brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. Bonus time with Vendrowski show as I speak. It's Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. I'm going to read you a headline uh, that will already be outdated. All right. By the time you hear this, because uh, I haven't quite figured out exactly when this interview is going to drop. It's going to drop in the next few days. Um, so by the time, uh, you get to Phoenix, I mean, by the time you hear this, this uh, news will be already new. So here is something that came from uh, Hunter Klaus's WBEZ Chicago, the rundown update. Hunter Klaus, as everybody knows, outstanding journalism in the city of Chicago and what people don't know, proud graduate at New Trier. I won't hold that against him. Uh, anyway, here we go. Uh, Hunter Klaus, I think I'm the only guy other than Hunter who knows he went to New Trier. Uh, here's the headline. A major winter storm is expected to hit Chicago on Thursday, sending temperatures plunging through this weekend. Plunging. I've got like three or four email updates about this. Block Club has sent out warnings. The Tribune, be afraid, be scared. The Sun-Times has sent out warnings. Now, Hunter Klaus, proud graduate of New Trier, has sent out a warning. Be scared, be afraid, hide. (laughs) Chicago in the weather. It's just a kind of a funny thing, you know. I hate to break the news to Chicago. That's true. I am not a life. Uh, I am not a born in Chicago guy. I've only lived here since 1981. But one thing I've learned since living here in 1981, we have this thing called winter. Ever heard of it? Chicago's like, uh oh, a storm is coming. I'm scared. I'm very scared. So they just like that's the news. Like every outlet updates. And this storm, by the way is not supposed to hit Chicago until like Thursday night. So here it is Tuesday, the preparation for the storm. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, you know, one time, uh, way, way, way back in the 1980s. See, I'm not a weather guy. This is part of the reason why I, um, I just, I just not into the weather. You know, like when I was growing up, I had friends, they, they do all the weathermen. I, I just, on TV, weathermen. I just never, the weather was like, oh God, the weather. I got to sit through this because to get to sports. So I was never really into the weather. Uh, and in the 1980s, I uh, was visiting with a friend in New York City, a uh, dear friend of mine, AJ. And he wasn't in the weather either. We were both political junkies, obsessive political junkies, national politics. AJ was from Boston. And we met in New York, and we walked through New York, and it was pouring rain, and we were just obsessively talking about, I don't know what, probably Cuomo, Mario Cuomo youngsters, not Andrew Cuomo. Not Chris Cuomo. Mario Cuomo was the governor of New York in the 80s. Whatever. We were talking obsessive politics. I'll talk any politics anywhere, anytime about anything. Okay. So uh, and it's pouring rain. We're like ducking into coffee shops. And, and then we duck out. We, we run to a, a restaurant just obsessively talking politics. And then it turned out it was a hurricane. 
We were walking through a hurricane. We didn't even know because we're just political junkies. But yeah, you know, my mother-in-law later told me, you know, you guys were walking through a hurricane. Did you know that? That was the hurricane. Uh, I forget the name of it. Where Ed Koch, then the mayor of New York, everything is political, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the hurricane. There had been all this warning about the hurricane coming, which I didn't know about because I just got finished saying I never pay attention to the weather. And in those days, there were no cell phones. So you didn't get the updates from Hunter Klaus breaking news, weather bad, or Block Club. So I didn't know. I didn't pay attention. I didn't know. I didn't know the weather was going to be. There was a hurricane coming. I was completely ignorant. Although I was to that tornado, to that hurricane, what most Chicagoans are to politics, completely ignorant. <laughs> so we're walking through the hurricane. My uh, mother-in-law told me, you know, there was a hurricane out there. Uh, shout out to AJ. He passed on about a year or so ago. Love him very dearly. A political junkie uh, as much as I am. All right. I'm going to uh, turn my attention away from the weather. And turn my attention to my distinguished guest who's patiently waiting uh, to introduce himself and take the deep dives without further ado. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hey, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Horace Noel, uh, or HM, as I've been known on uh, on the live stream, longtime DJ listener. So thanks so much for having me today. Yes. So uh, HM on the live stream, the live stream, long uh, past <laughs> live stream, no longer exists. In the old days, we had a live stream on YouTube and a fervent following of listeners, uh, like that, the alliteration in that, uh, who would uh, weigh in. And um, let, mm -hmm. may he rest in peace, HM. Uh, Sergio Mims was the only guest we ever had who would weigh in with the live stream while he was participating in the show. <laughs> so somebody would say something, write something. Uh, and this was like a really smart bunch of people. I mean, this is not your typical Chicago where it doesn't know what's going on. You know, these, these were like really, they knew their stuff. They would be catching me in mistakes, HM. You know what I'm saying? They would be like, Chow, oh, Ben, you got too far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a great community. I mean, that's honestly, when I first started listening to your show is through that YouTube live stream format. So, uh, you know, I really saw how robust of a small but mighty community there, there was of loyal listeners um, and stuff. So uh, it was a great feature. So yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of them uh, gave me grief for when we got rid of it, it was just too much trouble to keep it going. But whatever, <laughs> uh, time moves on. Uh, all right. So the reason there was originally I was going to bring Horace or HM uh, onto the show. Call to me talk Horace, about, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, Horace uh, to the show to talk about news boxes uh, and uh, like this artistic ability has to take old news boxes and convert them into works of art. And then, and then one day, <laughs> out of nowhere, here comes my beloved bright one on my front step, uh, Neil Steinberg, great columnist for the Sun-Times wrote a column and there was Horace's picture. I'm like, wait a minute, this is HM. <laughs> uh, and he was uh, chronicled by uh, Neil Steinberg talking about the Freedom Center printing plant. Uh, and I just immediately reached out to Horace. I said, Horace, you gotta come on and we have to talk about this. So let me set this up, ladies and gentlemen. This is actually political in many ways. Uh, so for many years, the Chicago Tribune, Horace will go into the history, he knows it much better than I do, has operated a printing plant uh, from roughly, what is it, Halstead and Chicago Avenue. You've been by it a million times, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and uh, that's where they printed their papers. They print, I believe, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Again, 
Horace knows more about this than I do. So I would just be driving by it when I was going up and down Halstead. I'd see it. I never thought twice about it. I just knew that's where they printed the newspapers. For the last, I would say, ooh, uh, I don't know, at least uh, five, six, seven years, ever since Amazon uh, began to play Chicago against all the other cities in the country, I became aware uh, for their their headquarters member. That's scam, ladies and gentlemen. I became aware of the fact that the the people who own the Tribune were getting out of I don't know if they're getting out of the printing business, but they were willing to uh, sell that land for development. And that land was one of the spots offered to Amazon. Mayor Rahm and Governor Rauner and their foolishness were just offering Amazon prime locations. Just unbelievable that this was happening within the last five years. The world has changed so much. Uh, They were offering them prime locations, and that's when I became aware that this land was going to be, uh, was basically uh, being offered for development by uh, the Tribune folks who run the Tribune. Uh, And then uh, later, fast forward into uh, recent, uh, uh, like the last few months, of course, we talk about this on the show a lot, uh, the city of Chicago and Bally's uh, cut a deal where they're going to use that site for the location of Chicago's casino. And uh, so I've had my opinions, uh, strong opinions about a casino, public financing of a casino, et cetera, and so forth. But what I never realized until I read Neil Steinberg's interview with uh, Horace is that there's a contingent of people in the universe, the Chicago universe, who know Chicago very well, love Chicago very well, who have an allegiance to that location, almost like a sacred shrine, because of the printing plant, the actual printing plant, folks. I was at, this was a moment, Horace, where like the light went on, Ding! and I immediately reached out to said, "You got to come on the show and talk about this uh, because I think it's actually a beautiful thing wow. that people like they love the genuine Chicago." You know what I mean? Everybody's always trying to recreate. No, not even recreate. Destroy what we have. Put something up and call it progress. This is me speaking, not ours. They call it progress uh, without considering that, you know, there was something there before you destroyed it, before you felt compelled to destroy it. And it may have been valuable and appreciated by other people. So that's sort of that's my long way of uh, leading up to the fact uh, that I invited you to the show to come talk about your love uh, and for the printing plant. So why don't we go back in time? Uh, and why don't you explain to folks exactly how it is that it, you came, it came about that you have fell in love with the Freedom Center printing plant over in the corner of roughly uh, Chicago and Halstead. Uh, take it away, Horace. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel that my you know love of the Freedom Center it's kind of multifaceted, but it started uh, out of an interest in um, trains, freight trains, and freight train graffiti. So as a young kid, uh, I was always drawn towards photographing um, and understanding the graffiti art culture, and one of which is that it's done on is on freight cars, right? So you'll have these detailed, colorful pieces on these sides of boxcars that, um, as I've said are like rolling canvases because you mean you'll see a piece and then you'll never see it again right and the one thing though is that being located on the near north side of chicago there aren't a lot of places to really photograph and see these sorts of freight trains um 
uh, you know, it's usually more so out in the suburbs or in other parts of the city that have more established industrial corridors. Uh, and so for me, you know, I'd be, I would be not driving, my dad would be driving, but I'd be in the passenger seat going down Halstead and I'd be like, wait, there's, what's that over there? And this is back um, roughly, you know, mid 2000s. I was, I was about 10 years old when uh, my dad and I, you know, had some spare time and, and we actually went over to the Chicago and Halstead intersection and tried to, I brought this old little um, digital camera, my first digital camera that I got, right? And uh, we drove to this public access area and I took some photos uh, and that was about it. You know, I was like, all right, cool. Like good notes there. But again, I was just a kid, 10 years old. So it really didn't start until a few years later um roughly 2010 maybe i was in eighth grade uh that i started to kind of go over there because again these freight trains would be constantly switched these freight cars rather would be constantly switched out shuttled in and out of the plants uh, these cars contain massive rolls of newsprint each roll is is at least a ton <laughs> you know and so these box cars would come down from canada and were carried by freight uh, to the Freedom Center. So for me, it was like this, you know, it wasn't the Freedom Center at first, it was, it was the adjacent freight yard. And so I would go over there with my dad, but as I got older, as a young teenager, I would end up biking over there by myself. I'd be like, hey dad, I'm going, you know, going down to the uh, trip yard, you know, going in. So he's like, I will right, well, be careful, you know, <laughs> but, um, it was really great. I just have a lot of fond memories of, you know, biking down Halstead in, you know, the, the early part of June, fresh out of school, summer break is here, you know, it's early in the morning, it's like 8am, you know, and I'm here trying to catch these, these freight trains as they're shuttled in and out, take photos of the boxcars. And that initial biking there is what kind of opened up my eyes to the other surrounding scenery of nearby Goose Island and a lot of those industries that at that point in time in the um, up until basically the mid 2010s were also rail served with other rail cars uh, and stuff. So I was able to kind of document that as well. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how it started. And the one thing that set the Freedom Center apart from those other industries that were also rail served, uh, you know, the, you have that whole Elson Avenue industrial corridor with Morden Salt. I remember when they, it wasn't a, it wasn't a concert venue then, it was actually Morden Salt uh, with its iconic roof. And I would, uh, you know, uh, take photos of the rail cars as they'd be shuttled out of there too, right? Or Finkel Steel, General Iron, um, all those spots that now are changed, demolished, what have you. None of them quite captured my interest as much as the Freedom Center did. And that was primarily because of the backdrop that you have. You have this massive, hulking, low-rise building, right? With not a lot of windows, and you have this gritty industrial train that's sh shuffling down the tracks with all these rusty boxcars with bright graffiti art on it. And in backdrop, you have, right across the Chicago River, all these high-rises going up. The Montgomery Ward building, and that was had now been turned into um, condos, apartments, and then the Groupon building and stuff uh, since that point, right? And so it really is an interesting sort of pocket where you have the beautiful skyline of Chicago uh, in the background, 
But in the foreground, you have this little last taste of what was formerly a robust uh, industrial landscape of the near north side. So what do you actually see? Uh, and I'm saying this as a person who in a million years has never been interested in anything like this. But I'm interested in people who are interested in it, if that makes sense. <laughs> I like the fact that people like you exist. You get what I'm saying? I like I have no ability whatsoever to figure out how to like work to create a uh, a cell phone. But I, I like the fact that there are people who are obsessive and figure out how to create cell phones and their minds works that way. So I can appreciate the fact that people who are good at things that I'm not good at are good at things that the things that they're good at. And I'm kind of like interested in them. So what is it that you saw at age 10, 11, 12, and even up to where you are now uh, with trains unloading boxcars that you found so fascinating? Yeah, I... I, I... I really think uh, it just goes back to capturing um, just the urban landscape through photography, you know, um, and then later on model making, um, primarily just through the, the graffiti art. Again, you would see pieces that were either local or from all across the country um, come through there on the sides of those boxcars. And that's what I really tried to photograph um, over the years. Uh, so. Again, rail fanning, uh, as we talked about in pre-show planning, planning prep and also in uh, Neil Steinberg's column, rail fanning is the activity of uh, photographing or taking videos of uh, certain types of trains. Um, it's, a, it's a hobby and a pastime and a passion for, for that, that there is a robust community of folks who rail fan. Um, and they some people travel all across the country to catch these trains and photos of these trains and stuff. But for me, it, I liked the fact that there was this site in my backyard that I could bike to. Um, and then there's a subset of rail fanning, or I guess it's not a subset, but along the same, no pun intended, along the same track is uh, benching, which is the hobby or pastime of taking photographs of graffiti art on trains. So there's rail fanning and there's benching and there's a lot of um, overlap between the two. And so that's kind of what drew me to the Freedom Center site at first was the, you know, through my interest in photography. And again, the fact that you would have these vivid pieces on these boxcars, but with the backdrop of not just some random industrial park in the middle of nowhere. No, you have John Hancock building, you have the Sears Tower to the to the southern end of this overall viewpoint um, of the Freedom Center. So that's kind of what drew me to that area. But in my interest in Chicago history and uh, later on supporting local journalism and everything, um, you know, is, is what kind of rounded it out towards the end in terms of my interest in the fact that it's the Chicago Tribune burning plant that's there, um, not some other random company. Yeah, no, and uh, I have to say that when I'm listening to you, I'm reminded of uh, birders that I know. Again, this is something that I particularly <laughs> know. Uh, these are people who yeah. watch birds, okay? And I, I am not being facetious or sarcastic at all. Hey, man, if that's what you do, that's what you do. I, I don't think I'm better than you because I'm, like, utterly obsessed <laughs> with the bulls. I have, like... 12 bulls hats i have bull season tickets yeah. like the, talk about you know what i mean it's like 
that's my weird thing that I do. And I don't even know if weird is right. It's just like, it's what I do. So I, I've occasionally encountered birders. So over, um, there's a bird sanctuary. Folks may not know this, uh, at, uh, just South of the golf course along the lake, uh, uh roughly Irving in between Irving and Addison. And it's, a, I got to give the city of Chicago, the park district credit, for once they didn't just destroy nature, they <laughs> they preserved it. So I'd be like walking through there and then people think, oh my God, I just saw a thrush. I just made that up. I, have no, I The only bird I could think of at the moment was a thrush. But they saw something that was significant. I'm like, okay, great, man. Um, so is there like anything like you remember that's the equivalent of seeing a, and already, I can't even think of a, like a throbbing thrush. Like, a, like we once saw a hawk in our backyard. I, it was a hawk in my backyard. My wife was like, well, we got a hawk. So was there anything like uh, that you could recall the years that you were going to the printing press, the Freedom Center, where you saw something, something that was so incredible that you still remember to this day? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing would be, um, the certain pieces on the cars that were, were pretty memorable. You know, there would be piece graffiti pieces on some of these box cars that would cover the entire mass of freight car. And those are kind of rare. Those are kind of like gems uh, to find. So to be able to photograph that again, with that having the beautiful Chicago skyline as the backdrop was really like a, a wow moment. Like, Hey, I, I caught that, you know, and then I, I might never ever see that again. Um, you know, so that was really me memorable. But also, I would go over to that site year round. I mean, I've been over there when it's a foot of snow. Um, I've been over there when it's 85 degrees and I'm, you know, I'm baking in the sun, right, but waiting for this train to come, bring a new string of cars down. Um, you know, I've, I've been there in every season, um, different times of of day and again this is usually just during well back then especially when i was a teenager it was during uh, breaks from school or maybe a weekend or something it was just really a, a great little um, vantage point and I, I also like your comparison to um the little montrose bird sanctuary both are, are little sort of sanctuaries or spots that people who are interested in um can go and be relatively safe and just really enjoy it um, unhindered, if you will, um, you know, um, or, or undisturbed, I guess is a better word. Uh, and uh, then, yeah. Well, that, I, uh, yeah. Uh, while all this is going on, while you and the smaller community of uh, uh, rail fans like you are appreciating the sights of the printing press and the activity of the trains going in and the, the colors uh, on the boxcars that graffiti artists have painted, probably without the permission of the railroad companies, I might point that out. Uh, while you're enjoying that, the powers that be in the city of Chicago, uh, the people who chart the future of the city of Chicago, the people who have access to uh, tax dollars, property tax dollars that we do to feed the city of Chicago, have decided in their infinite wisdom that it's the best for the city of Chicago, if they just spend those tax dollars to transform their word, not mine, that's their favorite word, transform everything that you love about this area into something that you probably don't love or won't love or will never go there to see. They're going to re they're going to rebuild the Schaumburg 
in what was an industrial corridor. And they, this has been going on porous for as long as I can remember. I can remember debates in the 80s about the Clybourne Industrial Corridor, about bringing residents to the banks of the Chicago River, that we cannot afford as a city to have land uh, being used for industrial manufacturing purposes where rich people would buy homes, that there's a higher planning use. Ben, you must understand planning and zoning. You don't understand it. People always tell me what I don't understand. I know what I understand. It's a money grab. I understand that. Uh, and so you're most of this started before you were born. And then it was continuing into the nineties as you're uh, moving up uh, and starting to appreciate, starting to venture out the city on your bicycle. Uh, when were you first aware? When did you first become aware uh, that the powers that be wanted to take everything that you loved about this area and destroy it. And what was sort of your first reaction uh, to that realization? Yeah. Um, by area, do you mean that whole kind of corridor in general? Yes. Yeah. And so... in specifically this, but we'll start with the <laughs> corridor in general. Yeah. So the corridor in general, again, I started uh, exploring that area on my bike, like you mentioned, um, you know, probably still around 2010, 2009. Again, that that was just kind of a stone's throw away from my house. So I had, you know, been driven through there, whether, you know, it was public transit or in my parents' car or whatnot. So, but I had never really been able to interact and e explore that sort of landscape and scenery until I was out on my bike and especially out on my bike on my own without a certain schedule, right? Where I could just kind of go and explore um, that industrial corridor by Finkel Steel, General Iron, et cetera. Um, and so I really think once they uh, closed Finkel Steel in, you know, in the proposal uh, that I'm sure many of, of your listeners will know as Lincoln Yards, once that started, um, I became more acutely aware of kind of the, the process that's it's quick to close uh, quick to shut down, but slow to develop after. I know there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, and I certainly hope that that development works out in the long run for the best for Chicago at large. Um, but again, when they tore down Finkel Steel and then Morton Salt closed and then some other smaller industries along Goose Island kind of left and closed. And uh, that's, you know, again, now we're talking mid 2010s that's when i started to realize okay wait there needs i i need to be doing something to preserve it in some sort of, in some so, sort of capacity right so my photography was one thing um but i had also a long uh, a lifelong love of model building i used to make skyscrapers and stuff out of cereal boxes when i was a kid and stuff right or build foam board buildings with my dad and so that led to model railroading so I was like, all right, how can I capture a piece of this changing landscape in a way that just goes beyond taking photos? And that's where the Freedom Center and model railroading combined. And that's how it led me to building that uh, scale model railroad of the Freedom Center um, over the course of five years, starting when I was, um, I don't know, I think 14 or 15 and finishing when I was in college and when I was 21 or 20. Uh, you know, so so I, I started to notice it in the early 2010s in general along that whole stretch. Combined with 
also looking at old photos from the 80s, from the 90s on Flickr and other websites like that that were really popular back in the 2010s. Um, and a lot of, there's a lot of great archive footage of, um, you know, I didn't even know that there was a Ogden Avenue overpass that used to go over Goose Island and cut around Cabrini Green, you know, and go all the way up towards Lincoln Park. No idea. It vanished, you know, <laughs> before, before I was even born. So that's the thing is because of, you know, the archives that we have on the internet, my own experience of biking through there, I knew, all right, how can I capture part of this? That means a lot to me, you know? No, I, uh, I hear you. I, uh, <laughs> I, I could go on and on about the struggle in my mind between what is considered progress by most people in the city of Chicago. Uh, and what I, I kind of view as destruction, you mm -hmm. know, uh, and, uh, so I could think of like uh, my my hometown, uh, Evanston, where I went to junior high and high school. Uh, they they had a uh, there's a corner of Evanston that's on the the southeast side, excuse me, the southwest side of downtown, and I have that in my mind's eye, uh, Horace, from the late '60s and into the '70s. I worked in that area at various points. There was restaurants I ate in that area at various points. I had friends who worked uh, in various. Uh, establishments around there i've walked all throughout evanston i rode my bike throughout all i did i could know this stuff and then i drifted away from evanston and when i went back many many years later horace i couldn't recognize it i was like wait a minute where's where's the carpet store where's 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 that hot dog stand where's the dominics it was all yeah. gone i had no way yeah. with and I feel that has happened so many times in Chicago. When I first moved to Chicago, there was Maxwell Street. They destroyed Maxwell Street. They absolutely crushed Maxwell Street. I fought that with everything I had at the new, with reader articles. Ha! <laughs> reader articles up against developers, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get crushed every single time. Uh, there's many other examples of that. Uh, so I generally have come to the conclusion, this is me speaking, Horace, that what people call progress is not really progress, it's just change that benefits somebody. And they just con us on thinking it's progress. Feel free uh, to give your views on this. You don't have to agree with me at all. If When you think about what you grew up watching uh, in the area around the Freedom Center and uh, press and you see realize that a casino is going to come there and you think about like going to Finkel Steel or driving by it and you know the Lincoln Yard is coming in your mind do you are, are you in agreement with the mayor arms of the world that yes this is progress or is there a part of you is that's sort of like me and view it as destruction your thoughts yeah I I, I definitely want to be mindful in the sense of not conflating my nostalgia with uh, hindering any sort of progress for the larger community, right? And uh, that's why it's been painful to kind of watch this unfold in terms of um, the Freedom Center's slow demise, uh, unfortunately, because for me, it's it's a it's a site, it's an area that is just uh, that 
has carries a lot of personal nostalgic value, right? Um, you know, I, I recently got my master's in public health with an environmental health focus, and I focused on brownfields, which are sites of vacant or abandoned, most often formerly industrial properties, uh, whose redevelopment can be hindered by the presence of harmful contaminants, right? And Lincoln Yards, Bengal Steel, when it was torn down, was a massive brownfield. That's not, you know, in terms of an environmental impact, that's not going to benefit a lot of residents as opposed to redeveloping that into some sort of green space or multi-use site um, for everyone. Uh, but I think it's also important that you have community members be a part of that process at every single step of the redevelopment process, right? Um, and so, you know, I can, tr it's, I try to be objective in that manner in terms of progress and redevelopment uh, of formerly industrial sites but for me i just have such a connection uh personal connection uh and sense of nostalgia to those sites that it, it really is painful to see uh, how this is kind of unfolding and uh you know there's not much, no more than the, as you said, your reader articles versus Maxwell Street. There's not much of that, <laughs> you know, that's, there's, there's not much that I personally can really do to, um, to change that course. Instead, uh, you know, it's, it, it's been a blessing to have been here throughout, you know, to, to see this whole change, right? You mentioned how when you were in Evanston, you left for a bit and came back and it, it changed seemingly you know to you maybe maybe overnight right whereas uh and for a lot of my friends and stuff who are born and raised here they often may leave and come back and not really think anything of it just like you said a lot of people may not even notice the freedom center or you know it's 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 a printing plant okay but for me having been here uh my entire life and have witnessed those changes unfold slowly but surely uh, there definitely is a lot more of a personal connection to seeing that industrial landscape change just from, again, a, a, a Chicago history standpoint and uh, sort of trying to document that landscape. You mentioned that uh, before we uh, started doing the interview that you bike all over Chicago. You're a biking enthusiast, <laughs> uh, even bike in the winter. Uh, and I got man that's i when it's that first uh, snow comes that's it for me biking uh but i have admiration for people like you and dave glowatz a uh, good friend of mine does comes on the show uh all the time doing city council stories uh he bikes year round. uh so when you think about your travels throughout the city what other sites what other locations uh do you favor that maybe you realize somewhere in the back of your mind that one day they too will be gone they too will be quote unquote transformed uh by the powers that be are there any others that you could think of off the top of your head yeah i mean that's a great question i again a lot of my like leisurely biking for that purpose has been concentrated for goose island right along elston avenue going down Halstead, past Division, you know, and crossing over the river by the Tribune Freedom Center. But I think one point that, that that's already gonna happen is over in Fulton Market. So I remember 
you know, there used to be a fish market that my dad and I used to go to called Isaacson's and Sons. <laughs> and he, you know, I, I would be young. He would actually make me wait in the car because he didn't want me to get the smell of fish yeah. on my shoes and bring it back into his car because he had to put bags on his, on his shoes because it would just be one of those, you know, like out of a movie, that whole stretch of Fulton Market would be butchers and 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 fish um i don't know wholesale fish suppliers right and we we go get fresh fish and stuff from there but you know and it, it'd be really gritty and obviously you have all the meat packers with their white coats and blood on it and stuff so it's quite quite a historical scene that all of a sudden in the past 10 20 years now you have a multi-million dollar uh condo buildings and restaurants and bars and venues and um you know that's something that again my friends and i being in our mid-20s we like to go out there um every now and then but it's something that for me i'm like <laughs> i'll be in the back of the uber saying i remember when that was a fish market and that used to be an old rundown restaurant and that used to be something else and most recently uh, uh you know in terms of a, a personal experience was with um the old ADM grain plants, the, the grain silos off of Carroll Avenue, just east of Ogden. Uh, it was something that certain uh, Chicago preservationists, myself included, really tried to advocate uh, for the powers that be, if you use that term, to kind of preserve. You know, um, we, we saw how great it was for Morton Salt to be preserved after it closed and, you know, and reused in a way that can benefit the larger community. Um, and it personally, me speaking personally, it would have been great to have seen those uh, iconic grain silos, again, juxtaposed with all these great shiny new buildings, but you saw this piece of what used to be to, to kind of have that site preserved if, if at all possible. Um, but unfortunately it was raised um, in the summer of 2021 and is still a lot that's pending development. And on a similar note, we'll see what happens with the Damon silos um, down towards the southwest side of the city along the south branch of the Chicago River. That's a similar predicament where it's great that we have a robust community of local preservationists and Chicago history fans, myself included, um, trying to advocate for uh, some sort of adaptive reuse preservation in some some sense some shape some way uh but we'll see you know we'll see what happens we'll see what happens and uh i'll close by uh reciting the one fight i, I used to write so many preservation stories and i i tell people this all the time i didn't write those preservation stories because I myself, I'm a preservationist, Horace, I, like I go through life walking, like the story that began this uh, show, walking through a hurricane in New York City with my friend AJ, obsessively talking politics. So I'll, I'll be walking down talking <laughs> politics, basketball, the Bulls, whatever, yeah. you know, movies, yeah. whatever's on the book I read obsessively talking i won't even be i never look at what, what i'm going by you know my wife makes fun of me this that and the other thing but the one thing i love i absolutely loved i love those rocks off a of promontory point i just oh, love those limestone rocks and i fought the city and the feds when they put up the 
the revetment from north all the way to promontory point i've come to realize that yeah you know that revetment it's kind of cool in some ways. So I'm not always right, City, okay? <laughs> uh, but I'm right about Promontory Point. And I got to give those preservations of Promontory Point a lot of love. They fought off the city. It was that They fought off daily back. This is, I don't even know where you were, your grammar school or something, <laughs> in the O's. And they fought them off. And now I guess they're, they're, they're always, daily's gone, but they're coming back for a promontory point and fight's coming up again. That's the one place I could think of in all these years of me writing where the preservationists fought off. Now, in that, the, the city, now in that case, there was no um, private entity that was looking to make uh, money off the deal. You follow what I'm saying? That was a capital project that Mayor Daly it just was just really into. Uh, and he finally backed off. He hated every minute that he had to back off. So that's the one I could think of. I don't know. I Do you share my love there for the promontory? You ever rode your bike uh, down the lakefront uh, going south? Or, yeah, in your case, would be going south yeah. to see Promontory Point? You know, I, I have biked further south uh, along the lakefront, but have yet to actually explore that area. So that's on my to-do list no, for, man, gotta go. for next I mean, summer. right now, after this winter storm. Uh, but that's the one fight I could see. Uh, so you're not, but the, what I was leading up to is uh, mm -hmm. there were people who were in that fight were telling me they're going to chain themselves to uh, trees to keep the city from tearing up the rocks. They're going to chain themselves to the rocks, whatever. They were gonna <laughs> You're not at that point with the printing center, I presume. No, no, I'm not. I still try to go uh, document the the trains that are are over there um, when I can, uh, and that's kind of what's making this model has kind of meant to me is that this this by by making this scale model of the Freedom Center with the trains and all that, um, even to the point that I took the the photos of the graffiti and scaled them down and turned them into decals to put on the boxcars. Um, again, devils in the details, but um, by having that that kind of serves as a way to always have a piece of the Freedom Center with me. Now, it's interesting. It actually was on display at the Freedom Center. Uh, it was a huge honor. Once I finished it, I reached out and uh, some folks there were like, you know what, let's have it on display to the public. Um, it was there for Old House Chicago for, for two consecutive years. Uh, and I kind of volunteered my time to kind of explain the layout as a part of the public tour. Um, but since then, unfortunately, it's been back here in my apartment and it looks like one, it might unfortunately outlive the actual site, but two, I really hope, um, that there will be an opportunity in the future for me to share it with the public once again. Um, so I don't know if you or any of your listeners, uh, know anyone for any sort of local historical societies or anything of that nature, because this is something that I think, you know, would be able to serve as a piece of preservation of the history and legacy of this Freedom Center site for years to come. And for now, it's just in kind of taking care of <laughs> in one of my rooms here. So, you know, they should put it in the casino. When they built that casino, they hey. should put it on public display at the casino. You know? you know what went before? I know in a million years, that's not what they would <laughs> do, but they should do it. <laughs> Put some uh, what plexiglass uh, over it, you know, and put it on a table, a little plaque. I mean, that 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 would be, uh, you know, that would be an honor in some way. 
uh, you know, uh, shape or form. But yeah, it's something that, again, um, no more than photography and what other people have done through their preservation efforts, this model, you know, hopefully will become part of that effort for the Freedom Center. Down do the road. you, um, uh, are you, do you have any plans if there is a casino there, if they actually get it together to build it? Do you have any plans to go <laughs> there? Are you a, a gambling guy? Not a gambling man. Not a gambling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I don't knock those who do, but I have no interest uh, at this point in time. You know, <laughs> yeah. going over yeah. there, there's not going to be trains and my beloved Freedom Center. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, listen. Um, I applaud your efforts, your love for uh, old Chicago, and uh, I got a feeling that. There's not going to be a constituency uh, to fight to save the Freedom Center printing plant like there is to say the Limestone Rocks uh, at Promontory Point. So, folks, uh, if you want to see a piece of what Chicago was before it's gone, uh, Horace, tell them how they can get uh, to that Freedom Center. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you can uh, take bike Take public transit, drive, walk uh, over to Chicago Avenue in Halstead, uh, where again it's gonna it's it's an elevated part that's actually kind of a raised part of Halstead Street, and it offers a really great vantage point of a piece of history that uh, may soon no longer be with us. Um, but again, great views of the skyline as well. And if you're and if you're lucky, you might catch a uh, a uh, Union Pacific train bringing some box cars down oh <laughs> if you hit it at the right time so with uh with some super cool graffiti uh on the box core uh or you may see a hawk like i saw in my backyard you might mix birding <laughs> and training oh my god there's a hawk on top of that box car uh, it's so funny some, some of my friends have actually joked that you know when i'm older Bird watching is going to be my next hobby. I'm some <laughs> old man. <laughs> like they already are kind of calling it. So they got so you we'll pegged, huh? Down the road. Well, we'll <laughs> see. I, I, I love I love the concept of bird watching way more than I actually like the bird watching. Okay, sure. uh, but uh, I'm really like I said, I'm really happy. Shout out Charlotte Newfeld many years ago. I remember she led the fight to save that little spot of land right there uh, along the lake. And they now uh, have bird watching there. All right. Very good. Horace, thank you very much for taking time to talk to me. And uh, also, thank you very much for listening to the show. Uh, and I hope you have a great Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Great, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Happy holidays to you and your family. And also, shout out to Chris, producer Chris, uh, Dr. D, and DJ Nate for all the hard work that they do. Everyone has a great holiday and prosperous New Year. And looking forward to, uh, catching more episodes. So thank you so much for having me. All right, that's Horace Noel. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.